Dago, have you ever had the Mint app on your phone or like uh, any type of banking app? You know, a lot of people are like Duolingo is the app that I hate the most. Uh-uh. The one I hate the most is Mint because it calls me out. It oh, is straight up telling me like, hey, buddy, you spent like $500 at coffee shops this week. I don't know. I don't know what the number is. But, you know, like at coffee shops this week. What's Way too wrong much. With you? Fully. Way too much. Yeah. I'm getting called out all the time by this app. Same. And I then think about it. I think about our business owners, the people who listen to this podcast, and imagining like if they had a mint that held them essentially like accountable in the same manner for their business. So it's like every time they go into, you know, that Home Depot run, which is obviously a daily occurrence to grab, you know, two or three extra screws, and just like how that feeds into, you know, their monthly financials. I think a lot of business owners would be fairly horrified <laughs> if they got like daily reporting on that. Um, yeah. And I think like in the conversation actually that we have with 24 hour bookkeeper in this podcast, a lot of the principles that she discussed that apply to businesses actually had similar applications to, like personal banking to some extent. So after this podcast, I felt like I left with not only really good insight into how to make sure that you know, our contractors aren't underpricing their jobs, uh, how to make sure that you have a subject matter expert who understands how home improvement business cash flow is, because it is very unique than let's say like a restaurant. But I think I also left having like a better understanding of whether you have a business or in your personal banking, making sure that one, you stay organized, which seems to be key. <laughs> and yeah, two, yeah. two, making sure that you like spend time to reflect on your finances and like what your personal goals are. And I think this is something that after I left, I was like, dang, like, what are my, what's my five year like savings goal, right? And I think it's it's hard to think about that, but important to some extent. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about retirement the other day as I was driving around. Cause I'm like, I guess I'm in, almost at that age where I'm sorry, I gotta think about it. Uh, as everybody knows, I'm like 55. Uh, no, but you know what I mean? It's like one of those yeah. things where I'm just, I was listening to a podcast actually, kind of like this one. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to work till I die. Like, and that was like a joke. And I was just like, no, but like, I think I am. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's actually, you know? that's actually not funny. I think that might be the case. Yeah. And I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people on this podcast think that too. They're like, how am I putting away money for my business to make sure that, you know, I'm not out here having to deal with the same stuff, you know, when I am in my 60s. Yeah. And you, like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, like, it's so the things that we talk about now, the things that we do now are like going to affect. Our so like my takeaway was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm retiring. Like I, my, I got mad at myself. I was like, no, that's not the mindset. And I think like the stuff that we're talking about today, it like, it feeds into that, right? Like the mindset changes or needs to change because of the things that like, uh, that we, uh, that we need to change for like the, for our legacy or for like freedom or for like, the, you know, we want to, we want to retire. I mean, like, Hey, someone's got to go to Hawaii. Someone's got to go to Maui. Why is, why can't it be you? You know what I mean? Like Fully. someone's got, someone's got to, you know, so. And it, um, it takes money at the end of the day. And we discussed, you know, all of those principles in our conversation with Karen Woodman. Um, she's the CEO and founder of 24 hour bookkeeper. This is an incredibly valuable conversation. I totally enjoyed speaking with her. It's clear that she has incredible industry knowledge. You know, she started as a bookkeeper for a small glass company and has seen and built out so many backend financial infrastructures for 
you know, home improvement companies, whether it's interiors or exteriors, and couldn't have enjoyed the conversation more. And uh, here's our combo with Karen. Thanks, everyone. Great. Well, now we have Karen here on the podcast, Karen Woodman, uh, the owner of 24 Hour Bookkeeper. And Karen, so excited to have you on this morning. I know that you're joining us from your house, uh, getting a little cold up there this time of year, I assume. <laughs> yes. Um, but would love if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, why you started 24 Hour Bookkeeper, and then just generally kind of what your experience has been in the home improvement industry and, and working with home improvement pros. That'd be great. Yeah, I actually started my career doing a bunch of different things. I think always had a, a, a need for entrepreneurship in some way, wasn't quite clear on what that looked like. And then I um, stumbled upon a commercial glass company. And when I started there, the owner had just purchased the business and said, there's a computer over there. I've never turned it on. I don't know what's in it, go. So it really gave me an opportunity to really build the systems and educate myself um, by doing. And that's really how I came across QuickBooks. So I worked for him for quite some time. And then I you know, had my children and decided eventually to go out on my own. So I did that uh, quite some time ago and um, worked with all different types of companies, you know, really doing bookkeeping for them and whatever they needed. And I think through my experience in construction and through some partnerships and relationships that I had built, I was able to get into doing more uh, work specifically for construction companies throughout the nation. And we had started building a reputation nationally to really be, at that time, the people who can really bridge the gap between QuickBooks and construction software. And that allowed us to really work with all types of construction companies because software at the time, which was maybe a swear word, um, was something they knew they needed to implement, but weren't really sure how to do that. And through that time, we've been able to build our team and, and have really crossed the threshold of working with strictly construction companies, which, um, you know, we're really strong in the home builder remodeler space, roofing and exterior contractors. And then we work with other types of contractors, such as general uh, commercial GCs, uh, welders, landscapers, electricians, plumbers, you name it. We kind of have a, a sprinkle of, of those um, throughout. So we really have the opportunity to be well trained and have lots of references just because we work with so many different companies. I think it's so interesting that you bring up the uh, bridging the gap between um, construction software and QuickBooks. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that journey for you guys, like how you, you know, you identified the problem and how you guys maybe like help companies solve that, that difference? Yeah. So I think when I, when I think of innovation, um, you know, everyone needs a bookkeeper in some way, right? There's always a financial side to your business, but what was happening is there wasn't anybody out there that was really willing to work in construction software. And when you think of the need of these companies to have scheduling, budgeting, uh, document management, client portal, things like that. Um, and considering these softwares were specific to the projects, uh, especially on the financial side, we were willing to work in those construction softwares. And what was happening is people think like, well, I'm connected, you know, I connected that soft, that CRM to QuickBooks, but they were never integrated. So to really understand the QuickBooks side and the construction management side was something that nobody really knew how to do. And at the end of the day, it comes out looking easy and, and simple and they can understand how to use it. But 
I think just being willing to to work with these companies, to work with their uh, you know technical support and customer service departments, and just really understand what we needed to do from a I would say outside of software setup, and then how we need everything to work together. Um, and and it was hard too because some software like some talked to QuickBooks, some you know uh, went the other way. You know they got the information from QuickBooks. Um, so for us, implementing any new software was not a big deal because we understood the general idea of what needed to be put together, um, and they had a hard time finding that. You know at that time. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, and that's really that's awesome that you could help them kind of bridge that that gap because it's like you know it's uh, if I'm good at I'm really, you know, I'm good at marketing, you know, like I have no idea what I'm going to be doing on that side. If I were to ever start like, you know, a, a marketing side business or anything, like I would have no clue. Right. Um, and that's, mm -hmm. it leads me to my next question, which is, um, you know, every industry, every vertical, we call it at heart, but you know, yep. every industry or every trade is different, right? Every kind of job in those trades are different. And I, I kind of wanted to see your perspective on like, you know, say like a roofer versus a remodeler, like what do they need from a bookkeeper? Like what's, what are the different needs there? Like how can you help them differently? That's a great question. So actually we think accounting and we think regular accounting applies to everybody, but we have to understand what's happening in real life. And someone who's in roofing has maybe a hundred, 250 jobs going out of, at a time. But if you're a home builder and remodeler, you might have two or three or five projects going at a time. And the, you know, when you're a home builder remodeler, you have maybe 30, 35 disciplines that you are trying to manage in the different trades as you move through the phases. Whereas in roofing, material hits the job, you're installing that day or the next day, it's over, you might be dealing with insurance. So really finding a bookkeeper or an accounting professional that understands what's important to you and what you deal with in real life, I think is really the key. And that might be kind of a not so fair answer um, because it's kind of a given, but at the same time, the software you're using is different. So you might be using a CRM specific to roofing versus um, specific to home building remodeling. Um, and then the way that your relationships look with your vendors, with your customers is different. So working with an accounting professional that understands that, um, and can speak the lingo that's usually how you can tell like they know what they're talking about when they can speak the same lingo that you do um, when it comes to that financial management piece and it's super interesting to think about just how different those cash flows look like the cash flow of a roofing company is so different on what's coming in daily weekly monthly what your inputs and outputs are that if you have to if you're working with someone or you have someone in the back office who doesn't have an understanding of like what those timelines look like I feel like that can just lead you to really not having a good handle on your books so quickly, <laughs> essentially yeah. money coming in and out so fast. And I, the thing that surprised me when I first started working in the home improvement industry was just how large some of these job projects are, especially within like these high end remodeling home builder spaces. Some of these projects, as you mentioned, like they can take four to six months. And like making sure that your cash flow and your savings are large enough to sustain that is so important and sometimes missed. I, I have a like, okay, so I have enough bookkeeping knowledge to ask stupid questions. <laughs> so I want, I, this, this popped into my head, but so for, uh, and this may be different per vertical, but I've heard of like cash based, but is it budgeting or accounting? 
and then I think there's like another there's like a the curl. other side a cruel a oh my gosh look at me oh, okay, okay, so yeah you're on it <laughs> okay so there's a cruel and then there's cash based and I wonder if like uh and you have perspective on this like what do you suggest or is it like literally like what you want from your business like what what to you has been the most successful say for a contractor say J a GC versus someone else so I can tell you it's based on what the IRS thinks you should do. Um, but if there's one piece of information you can take away is that you should always be looking at your reports in a cruel basis. So if I were just to give you a little nugget on accounting, cash basis basically means that I only count those expenses and the income when it hits my bank account, when I've actually received it or when I've actually paid it. On accrual, when I invoice, uh, you might customer for the phase in which I'm in, whether you've paid me or not, I'm counting that as income. And whether I've entered my payable to my subcontractor, whether I've paid or not, it still counts as an expense to my business. So we should really be treating our financials in this case in a accrual basis, um, even if oh, you're filed in tax and cash basis. That's interesting. Okay. And is that so, and I think this is interesting, and this is kind of not a question that we were planning on asking, but it just popped in my head, is that, um, so that makes uh, getting those invoices paid really critical, right? Because when, or maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Yes, but, it does. Yeah, because like when you're, when you're cash-based, you have the money. But if you're going accrual-based, you're really only going off of the good faith that someone's going to pay that invoice. So it means that you have to be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to collecting invoices, right? Is that? Let's not even use the word aggressive. Let's just use keeping track of our financials and knowing what people owe us. That would be one step in the right direction. And I can tell you, like, here's a real life example that someone could be in. Wow, it says that I'm doing, you know, $5 million in revenue, but I really have 1.5 tied up in accounts receivable. So like, it looks like I'm making money and it says I'm making money, but I like physically don't have that money and I'm having a hard time understanding why I'm, I can't pay payroll or I'm robbing from Peter's project to pay for Paul's project. Like these are all things that come with not just recording your financials, but looking at them and understanding them and then feeling like you have a partner that can help work through these thoughts to be like, I'm not sure why it says I have a bunch of money and I really don't have any. Like I, I talk because I remember I did I do a lot of like in-person interviews and conversations with contractors and I remember one day I was talking to a roofer and they're like we at one point we had two million dollars in invoices unpaid and it literally was like it it took everything it your business in us. it your but he was just like it took everything in us to go collect and it's and I, I mean before you get to that point, obviously you need to be organized and have a system. And if you're interested, Hearth has invoices, digital invoices with uh, uh, you know, automated reminders for your customers. You know, I'm doing the pitch now, but so if you're interested, get hearth.com. But <clears throat> if that is not the case and you have kind of let it slip and you have all of these accounts that are just sitting there, do you have anything to kind of, any kind of techniques or suggestions for a contractor to get back to, to, or is it literally like you need to get on the horn and you need to go get it? Well, we need to get on the horn, right? Like that's a scary thing. A lot of people don't want to. So like, I would say, don't send an email, like pick up the phone. It's like, well, I, okay. I had somebody in my office, you know, follow up on these people that are overdue. Okay. Well, that's not good enough. Like we maybe just need to call them and we need to say, Hey, I've got somebody in your area working on a job up the street. They can stop by and pick up a check. I think the other thing is, is, is utilizing the due dates on the invoices and literally following through. So now you move into overdue. You should hear from me. 
right? Like I think mm -hmm. people, don't they say people pay those that scream the loudest? So. Um, Cole's mouths don't get fed is my favorite version <laughs> of that. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, you got you to scream if you want it. And I think that kind of feeds into the next question that we're thinking about. You know, a lot of cash flow is really important for these businesses. It keeps your business running. How can, I guess, how are ways that you've seen businesses that you guys have worked with start to build savings over time? I know that's something that's really challenging for a lot of contractors who we work with who maybe are, you know, two or three years in business. They've had fantastic two or three years, but they're really not stacking money aside to either open a new branch, you know, plan for new equipment. What are some lightweight kind of methods that you've seen companies you've worked with uh, be able to start saving and investing? Yeah, I think, you know, I feel like I'm just going to go like super simple here, right? So like, I've got a bunch of money in my account, I can maybe take some of that and just put it aside because you know, you don't really spend what you don't see. Okay, so that's just in a personal or professional manner. Um, the other thing, and I feel like this is further in someone's business, if they're really keeping track of their financials, like, you know, what you're making on projects, and you know what it takes to run your business, which is your overhead costs. So if you take what you're making on your on your projects basically and you know what it takes to run and you know what you have left over you can take a small chunk of that and just move it over or make a decision at the end of every month to say okay i have this much i know that it's going to cost me x amount next month to run you know and my projects are maintaining on their own and they're I'm able to swing all of that i'm going to take a small amount of you know money and just move it to this other account it doesn't mean you can't move it back i think that's something people think like oh i'm moving it out of here that means i can't but, and, and not only that, when we think of like growing and opening multiple locations or wanting to invest into other things, you can have a savings account, but again, just being educated on where your financial sit allows you to just mentally make those decisions and then work towards them, whether that pot of money is sitting in a separate account or not. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think especially as like the, you know, the, uh, I saw an article today that was like, we are 100% going to be in a recession according to these models or whatever, but building up that, that those cash reserves are going, is going to be pretty, uh, it's going to be a pretty big, uh, for sure. uh, like asset for you. If we go into, if we go into a recession, because you know, you'll be able to keep your doors open more longer if something were to happen or whatever. So I think there is like a little bit of anxiety about like, what should I be doing with the cash that I do have left over? So. <clears throat> How about Do don't you, spend it? How about don't spend Yeah, exactly. I was going to say. Like, I mean, that principle. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think personal and business uh, like rules of thumb still apply for the most part. It's like the way that you handle your personal accounts, you probably want to have that same approach. It's the same fundamentals. Well, and it's like, okay, I'm going to take the cash out of my business, right? I'm going to go buy something nice for myself, which let's just state the fact that does happen, you know, or... I'm, you know, I've got this extra cash and now I can go and invest doing these other things. Maybe you want to hold off on some, some of those things and, and let the cash sit there. Um, but I think it's really just the, the don't spend it part could to be just enough advice for someone to say, you know, I'm just going to hold off and really think through my decision before I uh, go this, ahead and make this commitment. This is a very billionaire mindset question that I'm about to ask you. Uh, is, is, how do I, is there a way for the, I know, right? Uh, this, again, I think this is a kind of a dumb question because I think we already answered it, but is there a way to make your money work for you? Like if you're not going to spend like for a business, I mean, is there, is there anything that you would suggest anyone look into in an investment or anything, or is it literally like 
No, it needs to sit there so you can access it, right? Like you want to stay liquid, I guess is the term. Yeah, and I guess I'm probably like feel like not the right person because I can just tell you what I would do if it was me. You know, I'm a big fan of residual and let your money work for you, right? So it doesn't really depend on me. So when I think of investing in your business, sure, you can go into investments accounts, you know, you should have a financial planner and someone who's really guiding you, a CPA or your tax uh, preparer who can sit down with you quarterly and say, okay, you've got this cash, this is where you can put it to work. That would be my recommendation there. Um, but if you are going to invest into something, what can you put into your business that will allow you to produce potentially more revenue where you're, you know, I mean, we all know we're not, you know, earning any interest at this point, right? So when it comes to having money, if it's costing you, let's just say five or 6%, and you can have a 20% return on something, you know, naturally, that could be a good direction for them as well. And then I think kind of you and pretty much everyone who works at your company probably has an interesting perspective on how contractors are actually doing estimates on their jobs and if it's profitable or not. I know that a lot of companies we speak to will underbid themselves just to get the jobs, especially when they're first starting out or if they move into like a new type of service. So do you have any advice for up and coming home improvement companies on really how they can make sure when they're looking at their books, they're pricing their jobs correctly. Cause I think that's at the crux of a lot of kind of like down river financial issues is just making sure that you're actually writing estimates that can be profitable. Yeah, I, and my suggestion would be to, when the job is complete, you compare how you ended up against that estimate. And that's how you're gonna be better at estimating because you can underbid the job. Okay, I always say, we're not in business because the sky is blue. Like we are in business because we want to make money and there's no shame in that. Okay. So then ideally we're trying to underbid the job because we want it. That's great. But if you're going to lose money, why put yourself through all of that? So I feel like there's a level of confidence that needs to come with that to say, you know, I'm sticking to what I'm doing. And again, maybe your margins are smaller. That's fine. But you need to know what your overhead is. You need to know what your job costs are going to be. So if you have a good estimating process, that would be the first step to make sure you're covered. And then the more that you double check your projects and where you came in, you will get better at estimating because it's like, okay, on this job, we forgot to add this or hey, I had three change orders that I didn't plan or I had to cover these costs. It just then will take you to the next one. It doesn't mean you're still going to be the lowest person, um, but at the same time, you'll feel concrete with the numbers that you put together and then can play with your margins at that point. No, thank you. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. No, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it, sometimes we want the magic formula, right? We want that, like that's that's like okay. So you know, like the quadratic equation, right? A, B, C. You know, I'm just gonna start plotting all the stuff, and you know, I just I have the perfect price. But if you know things are fluid and things do change on us, and so there is no magic equation. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. Um, we spoke with Ruth King about this. Uh, I don't know if you know Ruth King, uh, but. You know, she she gave us you know a little bit of insight on like how to price jobs and stuff, um, and then we also talked to Tom, right, Tom Reaver, and every, I feel like everyone has uh, their own perspective on this, where it's just kind of like it's as simple as like whatever it is you're charging, just double it, you know, or uh, with Ruth, it's like you know, okay, well you take you know your this this amount of overhead here's kind of like some kind of way to approach it, but it is every industry is going to be different, everyone is going to be different because you're all trying to get something different ultimately for your business. 
But you mentioned a good point is overhead. So like a lot of construction companies don't even know what it, what it takes to run their business and what their overhead is. So they should be doing gross profit margin versus markup. So there's another little nugget, right? If you're just doing markup, you're not including your overhead. So you're like, man, I'm winning. I'm, you know, doing 65% on my, you know, jobs or I'm, I'm upping at 30%, but then you might be operating at 35% or 40% and you're going negative. And that right there can help explain why you're not succeeding in your company. Um, so it's really important to include overhead and to, that's like, to identify what it takes. Because that's like, you know, uh, so say like every hour it costs me like, and again, this is, might not be the formula, but like it cost me $150 to do be like be on every hour. Um, I need to charge $300 an hour, or at least for it to work out to $300 an hour. Is that or Yeah, or and, it, and it's all things like rent, um, yeah. you know, marketing. Like, so if you're if you're in roofing, for example, you're spending a lot of money in marketing. Um, what kind of uh, licenses does it take to run your business? Do you pay property taxes? um you know what's your overhead on payroll like your office back your back office staff like what's that costing you because they're there whether there's work or not so in in calculating all of that basically take what it costs an entire year divide by the amount of projects that you have and that can give you a rough idea of what your overhead runs oh, it's interesting yeah. to think about how often i think marketing is actually missed in that calculation especially when it comes to lead generation because Sure, you close the job, that's fantastic. But if it costs you $200 per lead that you're paying for to actually get the job closed, that needs to be a huge part of your calculation when you come mm -hmm. in and like see if you're profitable or not. Because you might actually have lost a significant amount on that job. That's mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then I think another question that I have is just really, this is very open-ended. So feel free to take this where you'd like. Um, but I think, how have you seen businesses that you've worked with throughout your career? I think you have good perspective, um, whether, you know, at the glass company that you started with or current businesses that you're working with now, how have you seen them kind of make the most profit in their business? I know a lot of it comes down, and I think you've said this to like reflection and planning, I think seems to be a really, really huge point of leverage. But what are other kind of things that smaller companies can be doing now to make sure they're setting themselves up to be profitable? So, and I think to, well, to add to what you said would be like ongoing management of those costs. So having a budget um, where you are managing your costs. So here's one simple tip if like in home building remodeling, use purchase orders. Purchase orders work great and I'll give you an, an exact example. Let's say that I am building a house and I am working with the electrician. And the electrician bid me $18,000 on this job. He bids me for rough and he bids me for, or he, I'm sorry, bills me for rough, bills me for final. So it gives me $9,000 and I pay that. And then the next one should be 9,000. But let's say there was a change order in some form, right? And I forgot to, to put it in for the customer because change order is another thing they should implement. So now he billed me $10,000. If I'm not using purchase orders, which it'll allow you to stop at the nine to say, whoa, whoa, this, you're asking for 10 and it's only at nine. Now I've paid an extra thousand and I might've forgotten to ask my customer for that extra 1,500. So that's one thing that if we can implement change orders and purchase orders from a home building remodeler side, that will help. Um, and then really looking at the budgets ongoing. So um, making sure that you set, you know, let's just use carpentry, you know, and you set it at 10,000 and now you're going to Home Depot and Lowe's and you're spending money and now you're at 11,000. 
you should be able to in real time manage those costs and say, okay, why are we at 11? How much more do we have to go? And then start making real time educated decisions on those projects that could really help you be more profitable. And then I think on roofing, some of the things like commissions is a really big thing. So what's your commission process look like? Do you pay upfront without the customer even like you probably pay part of it, but sometimes we pay too fast. There's changes and we didn't include those changes. And so we're overpaying on commissions, just little things like that. It's, it's just good ongoing real time management that could really help get you more profitable. Yeah, it's interesting the, the the commissions part that you bring up because that's a, it's a very tough conversation to have with someone, right? Because it's like, well, I just I just sold this roof. I should get the money now, um, you know. And and maybe you have a good answer to this or not. But like, how how have you seen people maybe navigate that conversation? Like, are they just like upfront, or you know, are they you know setting expectations different? Like, I, I don't know. Have how have you heard people deal with that? Yeah. So typically, they do get something upfront to have sold the job. But, you know, it should be realistic to say, hey, like, I'm going to pay you when the job's paid, which then, you know, maybe as a salesperson, you can help collect those funds. Or, you know, we want to make sure we've, we've looked at all the costs, because we want to make sure, you know, we're profitable, because as a business, I mean, we also are just not out throwing money everywhere. And I think if you set your presidency, you, you know, you, everyone knows what the expectations are, then you really shouldn't have any problem. Because sometimes we want to implement change. And then we think, oh, nobody on our team is going to like that. Like, I'm not, no one's going to follow the rules. Okay. And I would say, who's the boss, right? Like, who, who's doing this? Like, ultimately, we, we're, again, not in business because the sky is blue, right? We want to be profitable. We want to make money. We want to build a culture and an environment where people are hopefully want to contribute to that big cause. So let's just make the rules that make sense for everybody, do a good job in relaying those expectations. And then, you know, hopefully then, you, but you also have to hold them accountable, right? So like if, if everyone's just paying out commissions and not following the system, then no one's really going to believe you. And it's going to be hard to implement that yeah. overall. Um, it kind of leads me to another question, which is, um, it, we've talked about profitability, but I mean, a lot of us, we're not so good at making profit. I'll be personally, I'm a big spender and, uh, <laughs> you know, I get in trouble and, uh, you know, sometimes, okay. So side, you know, I go to my wife is like, Oh, I need this thing from target. And then I just happen to take the baby or my step kid and we come back and it's like $400 later. Right. And we're just like. <laughs> I'm that You're guy. the target person. Okay. Yeah. There's always one. There's always, yeah. There's always one target one, yeah. person in a relationship. Well, it's like, you know, my kid has to be dressed up like a pumpkin for one day out of the year, you know, and it, it's, a, you know, it just so happens to be a $20 little onesie. I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> hey, look, I didn't set the price. All right. I just pay it. That's it. Anyway. Yeah. Right. It's a great mentality. They love but, you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's not that bad. It's uh, only half as bad. Okay. But, um, but how do you, have you seen businesses like, like lose money quickly? Like what are, like, what are some pitfalls that you've seen? And, and we've talked about like staying organized and, and paying and, you know, uh, you know, getting your invoices paid and all that. But I mean, what are some kind of like some tips or tricks that you've seen people not follow that it just, you, you walk in day one and you're like, what have you guys been doing? This is not okay. Well, and I feel like I'm so boring with probably my answers, but like, I think it's just, we think like, oh, it's in the mental bank. Like, oh, I totally know how much money I'm making on this project. I know how much money I'm spending. But like, when you see it, like on a piece of paper, 
or on a computer right in front of you, I think it just gives you a reality check. Um, something we see a lot is like a lot of people double pay their subs and they oh. don't even realize that they're doing that because they don't have a good process or system in place to manage the money. And um, I mean, that's one big thing. So we find money a lot in those, in those cases. Um, and then I think just not invoicing their customers. Like that's a great way to lose money really fast. Like, it, you know, if you're cost plus and you don't have all your costs recorded and then what you're going to go ask for it, you know, four months down the road or after the project's done. And then you find out that, so there's just like, there's such an importance to just even having a centralized location to like, it may not be perfect your process, but if you can record your costs, you can keep up on your customer billing. Like you're really in the right direction to set yourself up for success at that point. I, I go going back. How does someone double pay their their subs? I feel like I'm like I already wrote you a check. What am I doing again? Um. For? Oh, it could just be like they got an invoice and they just paid it, and they didn't even realize they already paid it. Um. Because for example, like if you're paying on the job site, like okay, I'm the, your masonry person is like okay, I'm done. Can I get a check right now? And you're writing a check, right? Which I don't recommend that you do. Um, and then the office sends you an invoice like a month later and you're just not paying attention to your financials. And then a bill comes in and the office person, because that check didn't get recorded, um, or it got put under a different name. So it got put under Bob Smith, the masonry Mason, and then, you know, ABC masonry company that, that is his company sends you a bill and the computer won't catch it because it's put under two names. Like it could just be a whole number of, of reasons. Yeah, I've had that uh, on the on my, at my last company. I had something similar happen where my accounting team was about to pay like a ten thousand dollar invoice, and I had to be like, "What are you doing? Don't do that!" Yeah, and in construction, the, the zeros are like the numbers are big, right? Like a customer to pay you forty thousand dollars is nothing, or for you to pay a sixty thousand dollar invoice, or even a five thousand dollar invoice when. You know, when you need to watch costs to pay your commissions on time because you don't want to make your employees upset, right? Like it just it's just one big ball of just gotta make sure it's just nice and organized and can can roll real well, you know, across all areas of the business. I think the biggest takeaway for me from this conversation is as a business owner, just making sure you're actually putting the time aside to do this, to think strategically, to hire someone like 24 hour bookkeeper who knows what they're doing and can help you make long-term goals. Because I think even for me in my own life, it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, money in, money out, you know, rent, paying my mortgage, you know, paying all these different things. Mm -hmm. And I think business owners, even more so in the home improvement space, just get caught up in it as we all do, but making sure that they're putting like an hour aside every single week. Hey, I'm going to check in on my finances. I'm going to understand what's happening so that I can actually plan. Well, and let me just add to that. I think what's really tough is that, everyone's afraid to be judged, right? So like at least at 24 hour bookkeeper, it's a judgment free zone. So a lot of times people get into construction or into their businesses, uh, if you're kind of on the starting end, because like you're really good at it. And it's like, hey, I can do this on my own. Bookkeeping is usually the thing that gets thrown to the back burner, ultimately. And it's it sounds easy, because like, oh, I just put a number in a computer. But like, our co we don't do that. There's 25 things that have to happen. We got to make sure it's in the right cost code to the right job in the right place at the right time and blah, 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 right. Um, so I think just feeling like you can work with somebody who can help you understand because it is hard to understand regular accounting and then add cost accounting on top of that. And then I think when you can find a professional that has worked with so many different people, they can give you the information that like you're looking through Google to figure out like, 
what's a good way to bill my customers? How should I, you know, I, I build spec homes. Like that is a completely different form of accounting than if you're just building for, you know, a person directly. So, and you could be the same company. Um, so thinking of like, okay, an hour a week is great. And just even like having, it may not be the best, but to be recording and, and taking time. And so many people don't when they start because it's like, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just work with my CPA or my, you know, tax person. And they're just going to put it together for me. And you just would hate to get to be too late to where you're like, man, I lost all this money or I did not do as well as I thought because I just didn't give it the attention. Totally. Even though I gave other parts of the business a lot of attention and we're super successful, I feel like that's something that we hear a lot where it's, you know, these people are incredible craftsmen, as you mentioned, like amazing masons, like beautiful at concrete work. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think it's a pretty staggering number. I think it's like 82% of small businesses go out of business because of like cash flow problems and financial Yeah. So it's not that they're losing their business because they're not doing incredible work. It's they're losing their business because they're not paying close enough attention to the actual like back end money piece. And that's fair. Like, I don't know how to do it. So it's like they should consult people. And Doug and I talk a lot about this on the podcast where it's when you're a new business owner being okay with moving a part to your business, like giving that to someone even though it's a hard thing to do because you have to trust them, you have to feel comfortable with them. But like, for example, 24 hour, you guys are experts and it's good to have an expert on your side versus you trying to string together Google searches. Yeah. And who can, and who can you talk to about your financials unless your spouse or your significant others in the business, you're not going to go talk to your friends being like, Oh yeah, like I'm making a million dollars over here or Hey, I'm losing my shirt and I really don't know how to solve that. So like, I think just feeling like you can trust, somebody else that can give you kind of a, a different point of view um, is is really important. And why kill yourself in running your business all day? I mean, you can, like you're saying, do beautiful work, but you're killing yourself for what, right? Like you want to make it worth it. And it's just sometimes as simple as keeping up on your financials because that's the core of your company, right? Um. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think, I think that's, uh, that's like a really valuable lesson that we keep trying to, to pound in. It's like, guys, like, so like, you know, uh, um, current problem in my home, uh, our breaker, when we bought the house, this is a fun little story for everyone at home. Uh, it's not labeled. We got a piece of, uh, like grid paper. And it was just like written on a piece of grid paper. Like this is what each breaker is for. And, but there are parts of the house missing. And now we have one side of the house that doesn't have power. Like not like a critical part of the house, but it's like outside. So now I have the fun task of getting an electrician to come out, right? And I could Google how to figure out all of this stuff, right? But I should call a professional, right? And so a lot of you guys out there that are listening to this are the professional that I would call to come get this fixed, right? You would ne- you would tell me, don't do it yourself. Yeah, you know, you should have been organized. Somebody before, you should have asked for this when you bought the house. You should have gotten this all, you know, but you didn't. Let me come in and help you do this and get your life right so you don't have to deal with this again. That is something that you can do for your business with a professional bookkeeper with, you know, we, we spoke with Ben the last over oh, the last episode with a professional branding marketing person. Like there are, you know, it'll cost you some money, but ultimately it'll give you the peace of mind to know that your house, your business is working. Right. Okay. All right. That's my lecture. 
Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and and actually, to, if I could just add to that, in your like, and think of it from a setup standpoint too. So in your case, like, I'm doing everything right ongoing, but I'm, I was never set up correctly in the first place. So that's the other thing. Like, man, I'm I, I swear I'm doing everything right. So to have a professional come in and be like, let me just check how you're set up at the core and your foundation, you know, then that way we can make sure that all the efforts you're doing ongoing make sense. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's a great place to leave it right there. Karen, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, 24 hour bookkeeper, you can find them at 24, the number 24, hrbookkeeper.com. Uh, that is where you can find them. Uh, Karen, uh, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your wisdom with us and, and putting up with my silly questions. Oh, I love uh, it. You know, I, you know, one of these days I know what I'm going to figure out what a EBITDA is or whatever that is. EBITDA. Yeah. EBITDA. Yeah, there it is. See? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You and, and everybody I'm gonna else. <laughs> I'm going to be trouble. Everybody better watch out. Um, yeah. But anyway, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you next time.